Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Arley, and today we're here to talk all things UK with Charles Luke, manager of the Elite Rated Murray Income Trust. Thank you for joining us again, Charles. Hi, Chris. Uh, great, great to speak to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, let's start with a recap of the investment proposition of the Murray Income Trust, and maybe just talk to us about what you're trying to do and how it can help in a difficult environment like this. Uh, yep, yeah, sure. So, in short, Murray Income um, provides exposure to a, a diversified portfolio of high quality, mostly UK listed companies um, with a strong focus on ESG characteristics. Um, portfolio includes many interesting mid sized companies and some uh, overseas listed companies, um, all helping to deliver uh, an attractive dividend yield. Um, the company also benefits from the oversight of an experienced and independent board of directors. Um, in terms of how we're doing, um, I sort of like to think of that in, in two parts, given that we are an income fund. So um, firstly, income and then capital. So uh, from an income perspective, uh, income generation has been very robust. Um, our year end was June and the, the income delivered by the portfolio has been well above pre-pandemic levels, uh, which is well in advance of the market as a whole. So uh, doing well from an income perspective. Uh, and then from a capital perspective, uh, over the last six months, the portfolio has, has marginally outperformed its benchmark, uh, the FTSE All Share Index, um, which is uh, up a couple of percent or so. Um, I mentioned the challenging backdrop we've got at the moment. Do you, do you still believe the UK equity market is sort of generally supportive for, for a number of reasons? Maybe just talk us through maybe what you see in the market and whether there are opportunities in your segment. Yeah, well, as you, you know, as you said, it's, it's certainly not difficult to be bearish. Um, the cost of living crisis, concerns about global recession, um, the weak pound, high inflation, rising interest rates, you know, the list goes goes on. But what I would say um, is the, the equity market is always looking ahead. And these concerns, uh, I think, are very well known. And to my mind, actually largely reflected in the valuations of, of companies that, that we're seeing at the moment. Um, and I think it, it is important to remember that the UK market is not the same as the UK economy. Um, the UK market's home to a wide variety of attractive global companies um, and some very nimble mid caps. So, um, you know, for me, it's not difficult to find companies with strong intellectual property, well-known brands. Um, you know, all benefiting from good levels of corporate governance um, that are now actually trading at, at very sensible valuations um, and just the sorts of companies that you want to own for the long term. Um, and, and together with that, you know, from a, from a sort of income perspective as an income manager, um, the, the UK market has a, has a very strong income culture um, and an attractive dividend yield. Uh, and that yield is, is higher than virtually every other regional equity market. So I think, you know, quite a, quite a number of reasons to be optimistic about the UK market. Okay, you mentioned mid cap there. Let's let's have a bit of a bit of a chat about that. I mean, I think we spoke about 15, 16 months ago, and at the time you were, you were, you were sort of bullish on the on the UK mid cap market. Is that still the case? Are you? I mean, they've had challenging times since then. Are you finding opportunities? Are they even greater than they were then? Maybe just highlight a couple as well, please. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that certainly is the case. So around thirty percent of the of the portfolios invested in in mid cap companies. Um, to, to give you sort of an example of a recent new holding, um, so that would be uh, uh, Oxford Instruments, which is a mid-cap company with a market cap of around a uh, billion pounds. Um, it's a, a leading provider of scientific instrumentation equipment. Um, it's got some really fantastic expertise in the company, 
some very strong customer relationships, um, high barriers to entry. Uh, and together with what I, what I really like is a very strong balance sheet as well. And that sort of epitomizes the, the conservative nature in which the company is managed. Um, and another company would be um, SafeStore, which has a, um, some market capitalization of around £2 billion. It's the UK's largest um, self-storage company, but is also expanding in, in Europe. Um, I think that's a great business because it has a, a well-known, trusted brand. Um, self-storage is a, is a growing market. Um, the company has significant marketing synergies from, from having the scale that it does. Um, it's, its customers tend to be very sticky. The sites uh, are very scarce. And in many cases, they, they typically actually um, have more value from being used for other purposes, such as sort of residential um, and, and also, like actually, like Oxford Instruments, it's got a fantastic management team, really laser focused on returns. Um, and it's just really a very uncomplicated business. So less things, um, less things to go wrong. So, um, you know, SafeStore is, um, is a couple of percent uh, of the portfolio. So one of the largest holdings. Okay. Um, obviously, your style is to invest in sort of quality growth and more the opposite of value. Do, do you factor in economic headwinds or, or tailwinds into your decision when you're talking about making... An investment in a company and, and just go into that in a, a bit more detail as well yeah yeah sure so for me it's really all about the companies um you know macro factors can certainly have a big influence in the short term but you know forecasting those correctly is is fraught with difficulty and, and you sort of tend to find there's not always a smooth link between or well, not necessarily a smooth link between those sort of macro factors and and, and share price performance um so for me you know, uh, as a bottom-up investor, it's about the companies. And, and interestingly, if you if you look at the best-performing companies in the UK market over the last 10 or 20 or 30 years, um, you'll see sort of really two things. So firstly, they come from a, a wide variety of different sectors. Um, but secondly, nearly all of them actually have one thing in common, which is a high return on invested capital. Mm-hmm. And to maintain that high return on invested capital, they need some sort of sustainable competitive advantage so that those returns aren't, aren't competed away. Or in other words, they're good quality companies. And, and that sort of reminds me of the quote attributed to um, Benjamin Graham, which is that in the short run, the market's a voting machine, but in the long run, a weighing, a weighing machine. So my focus is really on finding uh, a, or building a diversified portfolio of, of good quality companies that we can hold for the long term rather than worrying about the current or short-term macro vicissitudes. Okay. Um, given you said that, though, I mean, a lot of your peers in the sort of growth, uh, quality growth space, I mean, talking to them uh, sort of about what's been happening this year, we, we did see a very much sort of indiscriminate sell-off earlier this year. I mean, you've mentioned your focus on the companies, but surely there was opportunities in that time period. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, we're always looking at, good quality companies that potentially uh, may have been a little bit expensive. But uh, as you say, what we saw at the start of the year with discount rates rising and, and, and the sort of valuations for some of those quality growth companies, uh, the PEs uh, falling, uh, was the opportunity to, to add some, some what we think are some really good quality companies to the portfolio. So one example would be London Stock Exchange, um, which we added in the spring. Um, that's a company that's been on a journey from a from a sort of traditional exchange towards being a global financial markets infrastructure and data provider, um, and that's been helped by the acquisition of a business called Refinitive. Um, so, um, post the acquisition, approximately seventy percent of revenues 
for the London Stock Exchange Group come from providing data and, and analytic services, um, where, where there is you know, really strong structural demand. Um, those revenues are recurring, they're subscription-based, um, and that provides some really good resilience. Um, and the cash generative nature of the business means that actually the balance sheet, having been a little bit stretched post-Refinitiv, um, is now strengthening really quickly. And I think that for a business like um, London Stock Exchange Group, where um, revenue growth can accelerate, the benefits of the acquisition um, are starting to come through, that can lead to the company becoming more valued um, as a really, really high quality leading information services company with uh, the capability to deliver many years of, of strong growth to come. And you know, if the market is willing to um, depress the valuation for macro concerns, um, that, that's a sort of example of a really high quality company that was a little bit expensive that we're very happy to add to the portfolio and, and own for the next five or 10 years. Okay. When we talk to people in the in, about the UK and the sort of fears about the outlook, and I, and I know you're not too focused on the outlook, it's all on the companies, but M&A activity must come onto the radar at some point for, for, for anyone, including yourselves. Could you maybe just talk to us about whether you've seen that in the portfolio and, and do you sort of extrapolate that into your outlook for companies or is it just purely on a case-by-case basis? Yeah, so we have we have noticed that in, in the portfolio. So recently, um, Schneider Electric announced that they were considering making a bid for um, the part of Aviva, the software company that they don't own. Um, our holdings of HomeServe and, and Euromoney have been bid for by private equity in the last six months or so. Um, a year ago, John Lang and Sarn, uh, which also holdings were, were also bid for by private equity. Um, and there have also been sort of plenty of rumours about other companies in the portfolio that... that um, uh, are being looked at either by other corporates or, or by private equity. And, and I guess the sort of level of MA activity in the portfolio isn't that surprising, particularly um, from private equity, as um, you know, it's one group of buyers that have a lot of dry powder, the characteristics that they tend to look for dovetail with a sort of quality income strategy that we have in the portfolio, such as you know, strong business model, robust balance sheets, good long-term growth opportunities. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, valuations have come down to, to, to attractive levels as well. So at the moment, I'd say a fair proportion of the portfolio is probably vulnerable to, to m and Just to follow up on that, you, you, you use the word vulnerable and you mentioned the valuations. As a, com- as, a, as, a, as a fund or as a company, as a trust, do you, do you actively push back if you feel that it's not the right thing to do? Yeah, abs- absolutely. So, you know, we're interested in the long term. We're not interested in making a, a you know a quick turn on a holding so if we feel or if we think that the valuation um from the from the bidder is is too low you know we are very happy to um make our views clear and um you know vote against a a um a deal if if um, if we if we really do believe that you, you, you also just talked a bit there about your active involvement Let, let's turn to the to sort of the ESG side. So obviously the trust is a, is a sustainable trust and you'd look at ESG considerations. And I, I believe you recently sold out of a company based on an internal bullying culture. Could you maybe talk to us a bit how about how you go about that and, and how it pans out in terms of your approach to the portfolio? Um, yes. So ESG is very, very important in the way we manage the portfolio. Uh, and I think that's reflected in the AAA MSCI ESG rating. So we're always thinking about how a company um, manages its risks and opportunities um, and whether it's acting in the best long-term interests of shareholders and wider society. And uh, I, I think we're very really fortunate. We have a lot of expertise to help with our analysis. 
So that includes a couple of uh, ESG analysts on the team and an overarching central ESG team with, with more than 30 experts. Um, in terms of uh, the, the sort of shape and, and fit with ESG in, in the holdings, um, I should say that um, we, we do own a couple of oil companies, um, but that's on the basis that they have some best position for the energy transition, but we'll generally um, have only modest weights in the oil sector. Um, we don't have any, any holdings at all in uh, any tobacco companies uh, in the portfolio. Um, we don't think that sits comfortably at all with a, with a focus on uh, ESG, given um, how dangerous um, cigarettes are to, to their consumers. Um, you, you mentioned that the sort of bullying example, that refers to Rio Tinto. Um, and the publication earlier in the year of the independent Broderick report um, on workplace culture. Uh, and that made really sobering reading in terms of um, the sort of uh, internal bullying at Rio Tinto, the sort of sexual har harassment and racism. Um, and we, we spent a lot of time engaging with the company, but, but didn't think it was appropriate to maintain our, our holding in Rio Tinto, given the, um, given the ESG concerns that, that were very clearly highlighted in, in, in that report. Okay. Um Last question. Uh, I could end it on an optimistic or a pessimistic note, but I'm going to leave that to you. So um, obviously things are challenging at the moment. We've got inflationary pressures. We've got the threat of recession, slower global growth. It is bleak. Um, are you as concerned as the headlines in the press would suggest, or do you not care and it's all about the companies? Maybe just give us your, your take on the next 12 to 18 months. Does the bleakness mean opportunities or are you worried? Yeah, I mean to be to be candid, I'm friend, I'm not very good at short-term outlooks, and my, my sort of crystal ball is a bit a bit sort of fuzzy at the moment. But what, what I would say is that I think it is really important to take a long-term perspective. And actually, next year, the trust will be a hundred years old, and will also hopefully be celebrating its fifty consecutive fiftieth consecutive year of dividend increases. And and in that time, the portfolio has been through many difficult periods. But um, what will I think continue to hold it in good stead? is that focus on good quality, profitable companies with robust business models, strong balance sheets, um, and sound growth opportunities, because that, that really helps to insulate both the capital and the income from, from a more challenging environment. Thank you very much for joining us today, Charles. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And thank, thank you, everyone, for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about the Murray Income Trust, please visit fundcaliber.com. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. Mm -hmm.